0: The following is a hoop ball presentation. Plays it into Trey. Two seconds. One. Trey Slaughter. In. can't get it, Kevin lets it fly,
1: swish, oh my goodness, yeah, hello and welcome back to Hoopball Hawks, the show here on the Hoopball Network that has taken flight. we cover everything regarding the Atlanta Hawks, I'm your host Brad Harden, recording live from Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm recording this today after the Hawks break their three game losing streak at home against the Toronto Raptors in a great team effort win in the State Farm Arena last night. We're going to talk about this game, and in the second half of the program, we're going to have Mr. ATL Player Development, Jordan Boatwright, to join the program to talk about his thoughts on the team thus far early part of the season in a direction that this team could potentially go as far as playoffs are concerned and what may need to happen in the future. So we're going to get his takes after we cover the Raptors game, and we're gonna get into all of it after this plug for my bookie. If you like losing money, turn this off right now. But if you love free band free bands, just like super future, then keep listening. Sports betting is getting huge across the nation, and all of my homies love to bet on games. There are a bunch of sites out there for sports betting, but all of my homies love my bookie. Why? because it's so easy to use. And since y'all my homies too, I'ma plug you. All my homies listening right now can sign up for my bookie with the promo code HOOPBALL to unlock a 100% deposit match bonus. 100%, just like an A-plus in school. Hopefully you got them, but if not, this your chance to get 100%. You like playing blackjack? There are some very fun and free blackjack tournaments and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There is so much that you can do on my bookie and the best thing is is that no cash is required to enter and you can win up to $100 in daily challenges and up to $1000 in weekly tournaments. So you want a chance at free cash money? Then again, my homies, sign up with the promo code hoop ball to unlock a 100% deposit match bonus and try to score some in the words of future. Like I said earlier, free ban, free ban. All right. And we are back going into last night's game. The injury report for the Hawks available. Trey young after he missed the last game with a leg contusion or Yeko was available and Kevin Herter out from last night's game. Deandre Hunter, Bogdan Bogdanovich and Chris Dunn starting lineup for the Hawks will go as Trey Young at the one Kevin Herter at the two Ken Reddish at the three John Collins at the four and Clint Capella at the five game flow for the first quarter both teams missed a lot of shots to open the game it was evident that Toronto watched film on the Dallas game because they started to double Trey Young early which Led to him making some good decisions, passing out of the double team, and he hit John Collins for two straight threes to start the game and get him in rhythm from beyond the arc. And then both teams offensively would quickly pick it up. The three-pointers were falling early for the Hawks, but the Raptors were answering back every time. So it was a back-and-forth game early on. Transition defense was something I was watching for from the Hawks last night. as A lot of times the Hawks would score, and then the Raptors would quickly push the ball, push the break, and score on easy opportunities because the defense for the Hawks were not getting set. So that was an adjustment that they had to make throughout the game, and check they did that. Eight early first quarter points from Clint Capella, which bested his performance already from Thursday night versus the Jazz when he only scored six points, and he would go on to have a big, big night yesterday evening. Trey Young getting his front court players out involved early john collins was getting it going capella was getting it going and it was a welcome sight to see trey young back because his presence really just opens things up for everybody else on the team which was something that they were dearly missing versus the utah jazz on thursday night raptors were definitely trying to pressure trey young as soon as he crossed half court to force the ball out of his hands and let someone else make plays and score The Raptors will go on on an 11-2 run to go up by five in the first quarter. The Raptors were, along with Trey Young, trying to force the ball out of John Collins' hands as well with these early double teams. But the Hawks executed every time. They found the open man and led to scores. So that was a great adjustment as far as for the Hawks really working through those double teams and trying to find who is the open man. The veterans for the Hawks came in and provided a huge lift off the bench, but the Raptors would end up going up by six by the end of the first quarter. Second quarter rolls around. Rookie Oyeko Okongu provided some really good minutes off the bench early for the Hawks, and I think, like I said before many times, I think he's going to be good going forward for this franchise for years to come. He has really good footwork, great defensive instincts, and if he continues to develop a shot, watch out. Tony Snell off the bench who had six early first half points and Solomon Hill with eight early first half points off the bench. The bench was really contributing for the Hawks. Three point shots were falling in the second quarter as they were in the first for the Hawks as they started off three of five from three point range. The second unit just giving the Hawks really good minutes with the Raptors who you know are going to play hard from wire to wire, just really combating that effort and matching their effort the entire game Rondo went in his bucketless streak in the second quarter, and he was really setting things up for the Hawks coming off the bench with Trey young and John Collins sitting out and they would end up cutting that Raptors lead to two points. A Kevin Herter three would help the Hawks take the lead with about six minutes left in the second quarter. And the threes would just continue to fall for the Hawks. Reddish and Herter two of the magic city trio, AKA the young wings for Atlanta were having really good first halves. Hawks got out to a six-point lead in the first half at one point, and they were going to halftime up by three. One of the best offensive halves we've seen from the Hawks, although defense was not a focal point in the half for both teams as both teams scored a lot of points. It was just good to see the execution and the confidence throughout the entire team. They definitely had more energy and effort than they had the last two games, which was a welcome sight for me. The Hawks would have 17 team assist by halftime. So they're really sharing the ball, really moving the ball, which is something that I always harp on on the offensive end for them. If they can move the ball around, get the defense working, move inside to side, it will open up some open looks for players on this Hawks team. And that's what they were getting as they were shooting the ball hot from the floor, shooting 54.5% from the field in the first half and 50% from three-point range. Third quarter starts off with a great defensive possession from the Hawks, a Clint Capella bucket, and a and Cam Reddish getting himself to the free throw line. And then I would follow a Aaron Baines' technical foul, and then another Capella bucket to push the lead out to 10 points out the break for the Hawks, led by team defense. The Raptors will respond with an 8-0 run to cut the lead to two points very quickly off of three straight Hawks turnovers. Hawks would settle back down and get back to focusing on getting good looks offensively, being patient and running their offense, and they would push the lead back out to 11 points thanks to ball movement and patience, as I mentioned before, on the offensive end. Boucher from the Raptors was doing everything he could to keep this lead close for Toronto. Keep this game close for Toronto. The lead was cut to four points before a personal foul and then a technical foul on former Atlanta Hawk DeAndre Bembry, who now plays for the Toronto Raptors to give the Hawks two free throws and then a three-pointer from Trey Young pushed the lead back out to nine points in the third quarter. But Rajon Rondo will return the favor with a technical foul himself from the bench after a foul was called on the floor that he didn't necessarily agree with. And there was a lot of questionable calls on both ends Last night, which led to a lot of frustration with the officiating that was going on. But after that foul was called, the Raptors would cut the lead back down to six points. And then a Fred Van Fleet layup made it a four-point game again. Hawks would end the quarter with a Gallinari three-pointer to crack the century mark. And they would end up being up by seven going into the fourth quarter. Trey Young with a big offensive foul put in the third quarter as he likes to do with 11 points and four assists to keep the lead away from the Toronto Raptors. Fourth quarter, both teams would be trading baskets. Fouls were mounting up on both ends, whether warranted or not. And this game was getting a lot more physical in the second half as Toronto wanted to keep things slower as they were playing on a second out of a back-to-back. So the fouling was to be expected. But Trey Young will come back on the floor in the fourth Setting up the show again, back and forth game, Hawks playing good team defense. And then Trey Young would hit a huge three-pointer off the dribble with about 320 left in the fourth to put the Hawks up by nine. Again, lots of frustrations with the calls from the officiating staff last night from both teams. Lloyd Pierce would get himself a technical with 235 left in the fourth. And then a big shot from the Raptors cut the lead to five. Defense was the theme down the stretch. Even though they gave up a considerable amount of points, there were some big defensive plays and defensive possessions from the Hawks, including this huge block from John Collins on Pascal Siakam, who was in transition. And that block led to a lot from Trey Young to Clint Capella on the other end. But Van Fleet, who was a walking bucket himself, would score a basket as well to put the lead back to 5 for the Atlanta Hawks down the stretch. Two big John Collins free throws, push the lead back out to 7, and then a good defensive possession would give the Hawks the ball back with over a minute left, which led to a huge three-pointer from Red Velvet Kevin Herter himself with about 53.4 seconds left to put the Hawks up by 10, and that was Herter's fifth three-pointer of the game, and that shot Iced it down the stretch defense from the Hawks and execution down the stretch in the offensive end helped them to win this game as the Hawks will close it out and win to a score of 132-121 at home. Team stats, Hawks shot 57% from the floor and almost 53% from three-point range. Best shooting percentages in a while for the Hawks this season. On the flip side, the Raptors shot 42% from the floor and 34% from the three-point line. Hawks shot almost 88% from the free-throw line last night, going 29 of 33. They out-rebounded the Raptors 43 to 38, although they did lose the offensive rebound margin 14 to 4. But it didn't matter last night because we got the dub. 31 team assist from the Hawks. They did a great job of sharing the ball, moving the ball around the entire night. As I said before, it helped them to get some open looks, which is what the Hawks needed to do in the two games prior. But I'm glad to see it last night, especially with Trey Young back. That was a huge lift for them. Ten blocks from the Hawks last night. 19 turnovers, although, for the Hawks, which led to 16 Raptor points. But we looked out on that stat by still pulling out this game by 11 points. And the Hawks were outscored in the paint, 46 to 38. But the biggest difference was the defense for the Hawks and their three-point shooting last night. We're going to get into both teams' individual stats as well as Mr. Jordan Boatwright's takes after this plug from Bruce Letter. Okay, quickly, we need to pause the show for an announcement. And it's a fun one. It's free stuff. Everybody loves free stuff. What's the stuff? The Brews Letter is back. Oh yes, back and fresh for the 2020-2021 NBA season. Our founder, Aaron Bruski, the GOAT, is writing an email newsletter filled with its most intimate fantasy nuggets. It's exclusive content you cannot find anywhere else. It's not on the website. It's not on any podcast. It's not on social media. It's only in an email newsletter. And you can sign up to get it for free. I said it for, 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 for free. Just go to bit.ly slash Bruise Letter 2021 and sign up in 10 seconds. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis, siete, ocho, novele, diez. 10 seconds. Again, the site is bit.ly slash Bruise Letter 2021. And you get it straight from the GOAT and Brewski into your inbox and enjoy the Nuggets to help you succeed in your fantasy basketball league. All right, we are back. The leading scorer for the Toronto Raptors last night was Chris Boucher, who had a career-high 29 points on 10 of 13 shooting. He went 2 of 4 from the three-point line, 7 of 13 from the free-throw line, added 10 rebounds, including 7 on offense, glass, and 2 blocks. In a lot of stretches of the game, Chris Boucher was the reason with his effort on the glass and his finishing ability around the rim really kept it close for the Raptors with Lowry struggling and Van Fleet really turning it on late. Chris Boucher was that steadying force for the Raptors that gave him a chance in his game. So hats off to the young fella. I know that he continues to work on his game. Toronto Raptors have a wonderful, wonderful player development system up there and it's showing with Chris Boucher and Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Fleet, Norman Powell, all these players that go to Toronto and they just do a really good job of working on their individual games, learning where they're effective on the floor and cultivating those skills around the spots that they are effective on the floor. And it showed from Chris Boucher last night, Fred Van Fleet dropped 25 last night on six of 18 shooting from the floor, went three or seven from the three point line. Hit 10 of 11 free throws. He added 10 assists, 6 rebounds, and 2 steals. Norman Powell had 20 points himself on 7-15 shooting. Went 1 of 5 from the 3-point line. Hit 5 of 6 free throws. Added 4 rebounds, 2 assists, and 2 steals. Pascal Siakam, after scoring 31 versus the Nets in the game prior, scored 15 points on 6 of 15 shooting. He went 1 of 3 from the 3-point line and hit both of his free throw attempts, added six rebounds, three assists, three steals, and two blocks. Kyle Lowry had a rough night shooting the ball, scoring only nine points on four of 16 shooting from the floor, went one of seven from the three-point line, added five assists and three rebounds. Stanley Johnson would add eight points off the bench. Terrence Davis would add seven points off the bench, and former Atlanta Hawk DeAndre Benbury would add six points off the bench for the Raptors. For the Hawks' side of things, Trey Young was the leading scorer with 28 points on 6-15 shooting. He went 2-4 from the three-point line, hit all 14 of his free-throw attempts. Much better getting to the free-throw line than he did versus Dallas the last game he played as he sat out versus the Utah Jazz with that leg contusion. Trae Young would add 13 assists last night, two blocks, and had seven of the team's 19 turnovers. But the win is a win. We will take it, and we will correct those mistakes going forward. Clint Capella rebounded from a six-point performance versus the Jazz. And as I said before, he scored more points in the first quarter with nine than he did the entire Utah game. Ended with another double-double, scoring 23 points on 10 of 13 shooting. Went three of five from the free throw line. Added 16 rebounds, including three in the offensive glass, and four blocks. Another block party from Clint Capella. John Collins would get in the block party as well. He would score 19 points on 6 of 11 shooting from the floor. Went 3 of 6 from three-point range. Hit all four of his free throw attempts. Added seven rebounds, four assists, and three blocks. Block party, seven blocks combined from the starting front court for the Atlanta Hawks last night. Really great on the defensive end in stretches, even though we gave up 121 points. Defense was there when we needed it down the stretch, and that's all that matters. Kevin Herter added 19 points on the 6 of 9, shooting from the floor, went 5 of 8 from the 3-point line, hit both of his free throw attempts, added 4 assists and 3 rebounds. The X factor last night, in my opinion, was Kevin Herter which I love the continued aggression, the continued confidence, and him getting into his spots to score for this Hawks team. We're going to need continue to see this going forward, depending how long DeAndre Hunter is out, and with Bogey still being out for the foreseeable future, Kevin Herter's scoring is going to be big down the stretch. Ken Reddish would get in double digits as well, scoring 10 points on three of six shooting, went two of four from the three-point line, Hit both of his free throw attempts and added five rebounds. Danilo Gallinari off the bench. Much better shooting night. Scored 14 points off the bench. Went 4-6 or from the floor. 3-5 or from three. Hit all three of his free throw attempts. Added five rebounds and four assists. Solomon Hill would add eight off the bench. And Tony Snell would add six off the bench. So, great team win from the Hawks. I loved what I saw on the defensive end. I loved that they were sharing the ball on the offensive end. They got... Some really good offensive outputs from multiple players outside of Trey Young, Clint Capella, and John Collins. I love seeing the 19 points from Herter. Reddish getting back in double digits on efficient shooting night, even though he can continue to get better and better with his offensive consistency. Gallo shooting the ball better, more efficiently, and getting 14 points off the bench. I love what we've been getting from Solomon Hill and Tony Snell in the last few games. So the bench really stepping up for the Hawks. In these last few games. And this is something that we're going to need to come together. As they continue to get healthier. And this stretch of games gets harder and harder. As they have some days off. Before they travel on Wednesday. To take on the Dallas Mavericks. To try to get some revenge from their loss. From this past Wednesday's game here in Atlanta. So we're going to take a short, short break. But when we come back. We will have Mr. Jordan Bowwright on. To talk on his takes. Okay, people, fantasy draft season is over and you brewski 150 your way to a hell of a team. The season is here and the fantasy pass is still the best deal in the industry at just $4.99 a month. And now that we're into the regular season, there's zero commitment. Sign up for one month for just five bucks. If you don't like it, you can cancel it. We know you'll love it. You'll say you'll keep it. But, anyways, it's nice to have options in life. The Fantasy Pass has everything you need to dominate all year long updating projections, new fantasy appraiser tools, schedule, and streaming charts, pickups, drops, and our newest and coolest feature, the Hoop Ball Discord server, where you can hang out with all our Hoop Ball pros, including myself, around the clock to get one-on-one help with your team. So please do check it out. Head to hoop-ball.com and click on the Fantasy Pass ad just below the main media wall and get the plug for your success for the fantasy basketball season. All right, and we are back. As promised, we have the very talented, the very knowledgeable Mr. ATL Player Development Jordan Boatwright on the show to talk about the state of uh, Atlanta Hawks. Jordan, how's it been going, man? I know it's been a while. We've been trying to get you on. I know work schedules have been conflict for me, but I'm glad to get you on today for this episode.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to be back. It's been a uh, it's been difficult trying to schedule getting back on here. I've been traveling and stuff, uh, but I'm I'm back and I'm ready to uh, I'm ready to pod.
1: I'm ready to have you on. So for listeners, we're going to set the stage, talk about the state of the Hawks right now. Currently, the Hawks are sitting at 11 and 12, sixth place in the Eastern Conference right now. Uh, Their numbers go as follow. They're 15th in the NBA in points per game at just under 113 points. Opponents' points per game, they're 11th in the NBA. Offensive rating, they're 11th in the NBA as well. Defensive rating, they're 14th in the NBA, and their net rating is plus 1.5. That puts them at 12th in the NBA. So all the numbers right now puts the Hawks as a top half of the league NBA team this year, whether the record says it or not. I know that we've had a lot of injuries and on paper that we're supposed to be here, but we're at we're right here. If you're you know trying to compare apples to apples right now, which is hard to do with a lot of the things that have gone on with the team with you know chemistry injuries rotations and just continued growth in this team it's a game-to-game process that's what we talk about on this program so i want to kick it to you jordan uh we're going to start at the top and on the last program i talked about lloyd pierce as potentially he's going to probably be the scapegoat if the hawks don't meet certain measures this season i said that five or six game series where they're competitive and they'll probably bring back Coach Lloyd Pierce, but if they get swept in the first round or make it to the play-in tournament and lose, I think with some of the lack of in-game adjustments, some bad decision-making in games, his leadership skills and whatnot, and just the growing, growing you know, cries from the fans of wanting him out, unfortunately could force him out. So what is your thoughts on Lloyd Pierce? Uh, I just feel like it's just a tough situation to be in as a head coach.
0: It definitely is a tough situation to be in. I feel like this is the best team that he's had in the three years that he's he's been here. Or it's been three years, right, Or This is yeah, third season, yeah. This right? is th- this is third yeah. season. Yeah. So I feel like this is the best team that he's had, and he, he's definitely in a unique position for him having such an offensively stacked team. I understand the firing talks at the end of the season and stuff, but I honestly think we should give him a, another year. And then just with black coaches in the NBA, they're they're already scarce and. I just don't like how coaches are perceived, especially when they start losing, especially black coaches. So I feel like we need to give him another year despite what happens. But um, I, I can understand the rumblings of getting him out of here or whatever. But I think with a stacked team and this being a new position for him, I think whatever the outcome is this season for the Hawks, like I'm I'm a fan of him. I'm a fan of the coaching staff, Nick McMillan and everybody on there. Um, So I don't want to see him go, but I understand just how the business goes and all that stuff, why we would even consider, you know, letting him go.
1: Yeah, and like you said, um, we want to see black coaches succeed in the NBA because they're a diamond dozen, and they shouldn't be a diamond dozen because it's a predominantly black league. And that, you know, I mean, that just, it it is what it is as far as, you know, the business side of things in the NBA. And like you said, it's his third year. Uh, He's still growing and learning as a head coach himself. This team has improved on the defensive end. And that's, you know, definitely in part to Nick McMillan being on the staff. But I know that we kind of talked about the parallels between this Hawks franchise and the Golden State Warriors, obviously with Travis Schlank as their GM. And that Lloyd Pearson, I said on this program, could be the Mark Jackson, be scapegoated. And, you know, they get him out of there and they get a coach that's more offensive minded to pair with Nick McMillan, who's a defensive minded coach, similar to the Steve Kerr, Mike Brown duo. That was out in Golden State. And they grow from there to, you know, whatever it becomes after the Lloyd Pierce tenure. And I can see that happening. And I know that we've talked about that on offline as well. Uh, But as far as offensive minded coaches that are out there, is there anybody that, you know, because to put him on a chopping block now without having a replacement in mind? It's just kind of unwarranted, in my opinion. So, do you see anybody out there who is an offensive-minded coach that they could bring in to pair in pair him with Nate McMillan and take that next step as a franchise?
0: I mean, we could we could get a Mark Jackson, or I'm I'm all about black coaches. It's Black History Month. It's Black History <laughs> Year in my world. So I'm all. I about don't blame you. I don't blame you. Mark Jackson, Mike Brown, Mike Woodson, anybody, uh, Fizdale anybody uh I, I i mean like i said i'm cool with pierce but if we're going to replace him out for a black coach as being atlanta as well too i think we need to have a, a black coach for the hawks but those are the only names that really come to mind i'm being biased so right now so <laughs> <laughs> ask me again in march i'll probably have a wider range of coaches
1: <laughs> we'll table this discussion until after march because rightfully so it is black <laughs> history month and uh it should be obviously longer than a month from all the achievements from black people men and women. For this country, uh, but, you know, like I said, we digress and we're going to table this conversation for later and maybe uh, we look around the league and maybe we see some, you know, wonderful applicants who are Caucasian or otherwise that are great offensive minds that could take this next step for this Hawks team going forward. But it's hard to put a lot on Lloyd Pierce with the injuries that they've had on the team with, you know, Cam Reddish being in and out. You had Trey Young missing some games. Clint Capella missed a game here and there. Uh, the Iron Man's pretty much been John Collins, and then you lose Bogdanovich. DeAndre Hunter obviously is currently out right now. Rondo plays every other game. So this is – Gallo was out for an extended period of time. So it's just like we've never had a full deck to play with this year, similar to obviously black people in this country. At times we never have a full deck to play with, uh, all jokes aside. But – I mean, it's hard to really just really develop chemistry, develop an identity for a team when you don't have everybody on, on the court. Especially we have not seen Chris Dunn debut yet, who is he could be a defensive anchor in the backcourt for your team, whether coming off the bench or plugging him in the starting lineup for certain matchups. We haven't had that luxury. Uh bogey being out. Um, obviously a really good offensive player he creates for others. We He was great when he was in, but then he had the unfortunate injury in his knee, and he is out. And But now he seems like he's going to be coming back. No timetable there. But when the bench is closer to full strength, we've seen their effect. We've seen how great this team can be with the contributions off the bench. So obviously injuries are injuries, so not really much to talk about unless you have a take there. But as far as the bench, What is your thoughts on the bench so far this year?
0: I think the bench is solid. I I think our free agency was great. I think our draft went well. I think we just built a really strong bench. But, you know, with everybody just not being healthy or being healthy consistently or all at the same time, at least for just, like, two games, it it, it is hard to really analyze and really, you know, say if this is the the best supporting cast that we have or – you know, if we need more help or we need to make some changes or whatever. Um, but I'm, I'm cool with the bench out, outside of Dunn playing. Cause I think Dunn would, I think just with his defense and the close games that we've lost, you know, the, the games within like five points and less, I think Dunn being on the floor would definitely make a difference. Um, Cause I think the game against the Nets at the beginning of January, uh, Kyrie was, was, was going crazy on us in that fourth quarter. And I think Dunn, I don't, I'm not saying Dunn would have stopped Kyrie and his greatness or anything, but he at least would have, you know, made it a little bit more difficult. And I don't know if it would have changed the outcome of the game, but I, I just think in our fourth quarters when it's a close game, Chris Dunn being able to get a couple stops or him just being on, just having that defensive presence on the floor where that person, you know, will pass the ball away when they see him in front of them. I think he would just help out a lot. But, you know, we've talked about just the inconsistency of the health of our situation. So, I'm, I'm cool with the bench. I just, you know, we need to be healthy. We need to be healthy yeah. and consistent.
1: Yeah, and we've seen the contributions from the veterans off the bench when Rondo, even though his shot's not been falling, his ability to create for others and run the offense off the bench, Brandon Goodwin has looked good in games this year um, as the backup point guard as well. Uh, Tony Snell, who is starting to get a little rhythm now, being a three and D guy, he's been looking good. Solomon Hill has been a leader from day one in training camp, being there, being presence, and really trying to be a force defensively and kind of show the young guys the ropes. Gallinari with his scoring—if uh, he can, we can get at least 12 to 14, 16 points from him on a consistent night um, off the bench—that's a great sign. And then when everybody is healthy. Herder, who's playing with confidence and, and aggressiveness right now and Reddish, if he can get some consistency, which we'll talk about him next. There's just so many things that this bench can provide if the starters are slacking. But, you know, obviously we're going to get to the starters a little bit later in the conversation. They're going to have to start faster, you know, no pun intended there. But this bench is really going to be a key going forward. And we just need them to continue to get healthy. No. Back to Cam Reddish. We talked about it offline. And I've talked about it on previous programs. I love what he's been doing on a defensive end. He looked great defensively against LeBron James. I mean, anybody who can hold LeBron James to 5 or 12 shooting, even though LeBron James still almost had a triple-double, I mean, he's the king. Um, that's good defense, 5 or 12 shooting uh, that he held the king on Monday night, and we know what he can do on a defensive end. He may gamble at times on a defensive end and put himself in bad situations, but – We're not worried about him on that end. It's about the consistency on the offensive end. And we talked about him needing his touches to get in a flow and get in a rhythm. But as far as Cam Reddish, uh, do you see an opportunity for him to get some consistency going forward? Or is it just when everybody comes back, is he going to be more and more lost in the shuffle?
0: I think he's really experimenting with his offensive game right now. I think he's trying to – I think he's learning how to build it, how to – select his shots, how to create his shots. I think obviously defense is a little bit easier to grasp onto because I feel like it's just a little bit of effort and uh conditioning, I guess. But um I think I think for Cam on the offensive side, he's been driving and attacking the basket more. He's been I feel like he's been more confident in him Trying to get his shot, but he doesn't really have best IQ for his shot selections and knowing how to finish properly or really knowing which shot he's going for whenever he gets the ball. It kind of just seems like when he gets the ball, he kind of just looks to score. doesn't really have a game plan on it. Um, Well, there's nothing wrong. You know, um, I think that's, you know, for people as talented as him, still trying to figure out where his shots come from in this offense. And as we spoke for before, the Hawks are kind of trying to figure out their offensive identity and that chemistry issue because they have a lot more firepower and they're just trying to figure out how to spread that ball more. Um, so, and that, that that's what I've kind of reiterated a few times on, on this podcast is like, they just have to figure out where everybody's shots are coming from. And it, it just looks like when Cam gets the ball, either he's excited, he has the ball because he wasn't expecting it. So he's just trying to score and, and get his shots up or he gets it and gets himself in a situation. He doesn't really know what to do once he gets in the paint or once, once that help comes off of him. um but i don't see anything to be scared about um it's not like he can't score he doesn't have the ability to shoot or score It's just like i said that's going to be the hardest thing about this hawks offense just figuring out where everybody's shots are coming from and that consistency with it it seemed like last month in january he kind of fell off offensively a, a, a little bit as of december but december was also you know like two weeks of games or whatever um so I know I keep saying this every time I get on it. I still think it's early to gauge because if mm-hmm. we just do it month by month, December they only played four games. January they played eleven or whatever, um, or I think that's things like like fifteen or whatever. But you know, he, he just and then with the injuries and everything, um, I, I don't think he's where he needs to be offensively. But I think he's on on pace to where where uh, his ceiling is at. I guess.
1: Yeah, and it it takes, you know, maturity and being available and just playing games because I I see what you definitely are seeing with him rushing his shot and the times where he's really effective is when he's trying to get to the cup and getting himself to the free throw line, which is something that I've been wanting to see from Cam Reddish is just be aggressive, get to the free throw line. Get some of those easy buckets to get your shot in rhythm and then let the rest of the offense come to you. And I think that's just a product of this young team at times. You know, we see them try to shoot early in the in shot clock to respond or if they're down and try to force things. And, you know, Cam Reddish is you know a product of that as well. We see it from Trey Young at times. We see it from Herter as well and all the other young players that they try to rush some opportunities early in the shot clock. And the times where the Hawks are effective is when they're moving the ball when they are giving people opportunities to to be patient and find the right shot. Let the right shot come to them. And that's the same for Cam Reddish as well. We just need he just needs to continue to grow and mature in that in that area. And I think it's you know too early. I think I agree it's too early to hit the panic button on him, but we just want to see more consistency. And I know that he knows that as well. And someone who we're getting consistency out of as of late has been Kevin Herter because he's been in the starting lineup with DeAndre Hunter out and Bogey out. He's been on the floor and he's been playing well. His shot has been falling. He's been getting in the mid range. He's been getting to the cup, getting himself to the free throw line and setting up for others. And I've really, you know, Kevin Herter is really trying to make me eat my words. As I said, he might have been, you know, on a chopping block entering the year as a potential piece that may be shipped out, but. He's been looking really good. Um, what can you speak on, on as far as Kevin Herter from what you've seen this year?
0: Uh, I'm not really too surprised. Like I, I said in a few episodes ago, um, they have to go to him early for that offense to really slow the way, I guess, they're expecting it to flow because um, a player like him, a playmaker, shooter, solid defender, in um, and that, and that offense, he he doesn't really create his own shot. So he's looking to kind of be set up for his shot and then he likes to create shots for other people so for people like him he could get lost in in the sauce when everybody's getting up shots or whatever because he he really needs his shot I feel like created for him Um, but he is a playmaker as far as getting people shots so once Hunter went down and they started to go to him uh, a little bit early in the offense and giving him more shot selections and just more time with the ball that changes the defensive strategy or whatever because you don't really want to get a shooter going early because that just opens up the floor and then with more offense you have you can manipulate and just you know have him be a decoy and just let Trey get off let John get off or whatever so him going early I think is just better for the whole Hawks offense in general and just going forward into the playoffs and everything so I'm not surprised because like I said given the opportunity whether he gets traded or not he's going to be a a solid player and he's going to create a lot whether he comes off the bench because he's a good player and then in today's game he fits a lot of schemes and systems and you can kind of plug him in a different in, in a few different spots and he'll be effective. So I'm I'm happy to see him getting his his numbers up with DeAndre being down and just getting his shots up cuz then that'll give him confidence and then when DeAndre comes back then they'll be able to kind of include him in to what to what they're trying to build on on that that offense whether he comes comes on off the bench or whether he continues to start. But I think now his confidence is picking back up and that just helps the overall goal for the Hawks. Yeah, and I've been
1: really impressed with his improvement on a defensive end, especially off-ball. His off-ball defense uh, has been really, really good uh, this year. And him getting steals, getting in the passing lanes, uh, it's it's evident that he is bought in on that end of the floor and then his playmaking continues to get better. His shot selection and just his overall confidence and aggressiveness, and I know Dominique... uh, on the broadcast, I always talks about when Kevin Hurt is able to get into a spot in a mid range game, it opens up uh, his ability to knock down a long ball. Um, so I just like showing his whole repertoire on offense, creating for others with his size and his ability to defend now, um, as he had it. He showed a lot of, in the last few games, some really good defensive possessions of him guarding people on ball and as well as his improvement off the ball. So if game in, the game out, if Kevin Herter can be the consistent fourth, fifth scoring option for this team. I I think that's, like I said, he can be the X factor and he can help them down the stretch as far as finishing out this tough slate of games they have coming up and as well as the second half of the schedule and as well as the playoffs if they make it that far this year and they should make it that far and it's going to be on the young wings, the Magic City Trio for the Atlanta Hawks and Cam Reddish being more consistent, Kevin Herter and then now DeAndre Hunter who we're going to talk about who's been out obviously the last uh few games with the knee discomfort but his improvement in year 2 has just been exceptional he is before When he went out, he was the second leading scorer on this team behind Trey Young and ahead of John Collins. And he was Mr. Consistent for this Hawks team. And some nights the second scoring option, but at worst the third scoring option. And then being the best defender, taking on that challenge, being tough, him getting to the free throw line. Uh, he He's just been just fantastic this year for the Hawks. And certainly along with Christian Wood and Chris Boucher, He's in the discussion for most improved player of the year this year for the Hawks. Uh, for, I mean, talking about in the NBA in general and one of the MVPs for this Hawks team for his defensive prowess and his consistency. So DeAndre Hunter, uh, speak to his second year explosion that he's having. How, um, how,
0: how many games has he been out? The last four? The last four games. That Washington game? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the yeah, last yeah, see, they're four...
0: they're they're definitely missing him because I think they've been one in three w-
1: without him. Yep, yep.
0: They've been yeah, one, in, but... they've been one in three without him. Yeah, he 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 definitely is the catalyst for this team. We knew what he could do defensively, and uh, he, he's definitely held that down. And he's improved so much defensively this year. And I, as I spoke, his offensive game, he just he he's always ready for that catch and shoot. He's more mm-hmm. efficient on his pull up. He knows how to get to his spots. Um, but his, strength, I I, yeah.
1: his strength, yeah, his strength as well, yeah. and, and his confidence. Like uh, the the Brooklyn game, he didn't care if KD was on him. He didn't. He doesn't exactly. care. He doesn't care who is on him now. Like
0: he's and, and that's and that's what I like about him so much. And I, I I spoke about it a few podcasts ago that I was on. I I, I forgot that he was their first draft pick in that in that draft. Uh, I I always think Cam was before him, but he was he got drafted before Cam. So I feel like what he's doing is more what he should do as as that fifth and sixth pick. But he's, I I think he's exceeded my expectations. I didn't think he was going to be that solid defensively and that efficient offensively. But I just feel like the few games that we lost Recently, I feel like with him there, I'm. I don't know if the outcome could have been different. I think that 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 Mavericks game definitely could have been a different outcome, and I I feel like a, a few of the things that we messed up on the defensive end, he would have definitely helped and uh just just provided that that offense because uh, I think Collins had a, had a pretty big game that that game too, but um I'm I'm a, I'm super impressed with his growth. I'm I'm a huge fan. He's each game that I watch and. He's he's making me uh, become a bigger fan J- just because, like I said, offensively, he just looks ready. Like he's always he's never out of control. He's never moving too fast. He's never out of position. His catch and shoot uh, has has increased. I think statistically he's increased like seven points in, in, in his scoring since since, since last year. Um, and. I just I I I like to see stuff like that, and then I, I know uh percentages wise, I think he's shooting like ten percent better from the, the the free throw line than he was last year. Or maybe I'm getting his stats mixed up with with Cam, but I just know he's had an overall statistical improvement on the offensive end this year. And then, like I said, d- defensively, I was really upset when he went down before that Laker game because I really wanted to see yeah. his matchup LeBron and then w- with AD and everything. Um, his 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 improvements on the offensive end and his improvements on the defensive end just had me really that that was a game I was going to compare his growth against the king. So whenever he missed that game, the next few games was really kind of let down for me because that's the game that I was really looking forward to comparing him to. But his his growth offensively and defensively is super impressive uh, in my opinion, and I'm just excited for him to get back and to to
1: keep keep watching his growth. You and me both, and I know that with. Uh, obviously, you know, the Hawks being off today, Monday, and Tuesday. The next game is Wednesday, as I said before earlier in the podcast, against the Dallas Mavericks. So we get to run it back turbo, and I hope that we have him available and Cam Reddish. And they're definitely going to change their defensive scheme on Luka Doncic, who had 28 points and about 14 assists against us on Wednesday night. So hopefully we can make things harder on Luka Doncic with our ability to throw Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter at him on Wednesday night. And I just love the continued growth and confidence in DeAndre Hunter's game in year two. It shows the work that he's put in on both ends of the floor and his determination to be an All-NBA defender at one point in his career. And I think with how he is trending right now, it's bound to happen. We're also going to talk about a pleasant surprise for a lot of people who are Hawks fans and Clint Capella. Uh, who is, you know, in the top five in blocks, rebounds, and offensive rebound in the NBA, been scoring around the rim, been really efficient, his energy, his effort, going after loose balls, grabbing rebounds, protecting the rim. He has been a staple for the Hawks in the front court defensively, and he's been a pleasant surprise for a lot of people. And I know Dominique on the broadcast said that he might be the best big man that the Hawks have had since Matumbo. And that could be, you know, debated because we've had Dwight Howard uh, here as well. But I love what we've been getting from Clint Capella. And I just want to see what your thoughts are on Clint Capella here early in the early part of the season. Uh, I definitely need to
0: take back my uh, w- w- what I said about him at the beginning of the season. I didn't think he was going to come in looking this solid. He's definitely surprised me. I thought, you know, we—I thought it was unnecessary that we were paying him that much. I didn't—I didn't, I wasn't really just a fan of him because all I've known him was in in Houston and just catching lobs and blocking shots. I didn't really know he had the the touch around the offensive rim i knew he was a, a defensive monster that you know I, I i wasn't i wasn't worried about his defense i just thought we'd be playing four on five on offense with him being there i mean obviously he catches lobs or whatever here and there but i just didn't understand why we needed to pay 18 million a year and i i think i, I even said it i think we should probably trade him to get extra pieces before the free agency and everything happened um but I'm, I'm, I'm super imp- impressed. His, his paint presence has been amazing. He's been able to lock down the paint. He's been able to to score offensively without really, you know, like needing lobs and stuff. Like he's been able to get his own buckets. He's, he's cleaning the glass like crazy offensively and defensively. Like, yes. I, I I don't think he's had less than 10 rebounds since, uh since the beginning of the season. I think when he came back, I think every game he's had at least 11 rebounds, to be honest. Um, just super impressed obviously he struggles on the perimeter when, when they switch and then against more athletic fours and fives or whatever but he's still do, do doing his thing and I don't really think he's liability like against like the Giannis's and the Julius Randle's because those are you know those are hard people to guard anyway but mm-hmm. um I'm just impressed like I'm, I'm almost speechless when it comes to him because I, I didn't expect him to do what he's been doing and then he's been shooting consistently. For, From the free throw line too, I think. I think he's shooting almost like sixty percent for from the free throw line this season. I don't know what he is at on his career. Like I said, I I don't really. I've never really followed him too much, but I'm just impressed um, because I I think I had him not necessarily a scrub, but I just didn't understand why he was getting paid, what he was getting paid, and what all he brought to the table. Because in Houston, he played a very limited role like a Kentucky player you know like they just play their one role and when they get to the NBA they are a lot more skilled than what we thought Um, so I like what he's doing I think the chemistry him and Trey have developed is great he's he's just impressed me I, I don't really have much to say outside of you know me just being impressed I wasn't educated enough to know that he was this talented offensively
1: yeah we have all been surprised by what Clint Capella has provided uh, just, you know, grabbing an insane amount of rebounds night in and night out, uh, getting a block. Block party, as I said, he's top five in the NBA in blocks. And I said he crashes the glass on both ends of the floor, defensively and offensively, and gives the Hawks, you know, wonderful opportunities for second chance points and putting himself at the free throw line. So I've just really been really happy with what we've gotten out of Clint Capella. We've gotten a lot more than what any of us expected going into the season. And his energy and effort is contagious. He, you know, sets the tone on defense and, you know, with energy and effort. And if he's not hurt, or if he's not labored in any way or tired, he's going to give 150% every time he's on the floor. And that is contagious, and that spreads to the rest of the team. So he's truly been one of the leaders for this Hawks team in this early part of the season, and we need to continue to get this from him going forward. I like that that he doesn't suit the three,
0: but do we want him to suit the three? Is that, is, is that a thing?
1: I say no, especially with uh, the next player we're going to talk about, J.C., with his three-point shooting that we've been getting after he started off pretty slow to start the year. John Collins has been knocking him down. I know in the last eight games he's shooting around 50% from the three-point line. So he's been knocking down the three. So with him being able to stretch the floor, you can afford to keep Capella closer to the rim for this offense. Okay. And speaking of John Collins – we always, I always say 13 touches, minimum, and the rest speaks for himself. He, his numbers are good, especially with DeAndre Hunter being out. He needed to step up, and he has stepped up. Now, there's still one and three in those games with DeAndre Hunter out, but still, John Collins is doing all that he can, and we need to do a better job of when he is on, in the post. And he has a smaller defender on him. Get him the ball. There's a lot of times where we miss him. And we miss opportunities to get John Collins the ball. And they pointed out in the broadcast on Fox Sports Southeast as well. We miss some opportunities. And he still does the things that he does. He still provides energy and effort. He's getting better on the defensive end, night in, night out. So he is really, you know, taking... A step forward in all regards in his game this year, even with a more crowded roster, which a lot of people were worried about. I was worried about, especially when they brought in Bogey and Gallo and others to eat up some of the shot opportunities that would normally go to John Collins. He's still carving out a spot for his game, and we need to continue to find him more so in spots during the game. So John Collins, uh, do you still think that we may need to move on from him or uh, it's too early to tell. Oh, and um, Just your thoughts on John Collins in the early part of the season. Uh,
0: there is a Jay-Z line from Black Republican that makes me think about John Collins. It says, now the team got beef between the post and the point that this puts the ring in jeopardy indefinitely. So I say that because I think him and Trey are beef, and that's why he's getting missed on looks in the paint. A quote, missed on looks. Um, but he, he, he spoke out about his frustrations with Trey and um, not much has really changed on his end. I think, I think Trey has kind of, you know, made the adjustments he, he needed to to make, but I don't think John Collins is, is truthfully happy. I think he's, um, I think the last couple of games, his points per game has increased. He still had like 17 for the season, but I think he needs to be a 20 point score if he's, if he wants to be the person that he wants to be in in this league, and I guess what the Hawks are, are wanting from, from him, but um, I just think there's there's some internal issues still still going on, and um, the rise in his numbers, I don't know that if 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 that necessarily reflects that chemistry issue, you know, b- being dealt with or whatever. But um, I'm cool with, with JC. I, I like his game. I like you know what where, where he brings brings to the table. But I just think there's still some issues between him and Trey Er I, I, I don't know if it's him and Trey or he's not getting the, the shot that he's wanting in that offense or whatever but I just I just think there's some kind of tension between them but I'm I don't know anything you know personal or anything like that I'm just going by the eye test or whatever but I think you know just off of his scoring ability and the way he stepped up like I I, I definitely see his improvements I'm I'm definitely a a fan of his, his, his three point shot, definitely being consistent Uh, these last like five or six games. He's he's shooting a, a, at a very efficient clip um, and his scoring has, has jumped up, but it hasn't translated to wins as well too. So we have to figure out how we can get his, his scoring up and get wins because if he's going to be our, you know, our franchise player or a number two franchise player, him and Trey have to be on the same page as one. And then we have to, we can't have two 30 point scores and then, getting losses at the same time or whatever. It's like what's more important? Is it their numbers, or is it our wins or their happiness? Or, you know, we gotta we just have to figure out something, some type of balance and, and and get on the same page as as for one. But I am happy to see that he's gotten out of this little scoring slump and getting more consistent with his shot and his looks. Um but I just think there's there's uh some issues that need to be ironed out before uh this team can really make that next step yeah whether it, whether it be deep in the playoffs or a finals run or whatever but i think the issues that are going on and you know the the foul calling with trey or you know jc feeling like he's not getting the looks or the touches he needs or you know whatever it is i think it's between trey and john collins and that needs to be fixed before we could you know see any type of long-term success
1: yeah And I think that the chemistry issue, it definitely showed in the aftermath of the, you know, first two, three games after the article from The Athletic. Uh, It was visibly, you could see it on the court. But I think they've, you know, maintained a professional relationship and really tried to work through that. And it has, you know, there's still been games where he hasn't gotten enough touches, but they've won. So I don't think he's complaining if the team is winning. And when I look at his stats the last 10 games, he is scoring just under 21 points per game, grabbing eight and a half rebounds, shooting eighty-six percent from the free throw line, almost forty-seven percent from the three-point line, and almost fifty-six percent from the floor. And this year, in totality, after starting off slow, he's shooting forty-one percent from three. So I think it's just with the different pieces, with you know, Trey Young trying that balancing act of getting everybody their touches and their looks. Uh John Collins obviously wants his touches and looks because he is in a contract year and wants to show his worth. And he wants to win as well. So I think it's a two two two-sided coin in that regard. But he's showing an ability to, you know, hit the three-pointer at at a consistent clip, especially being over 40% again right now, early part of the season. And to play with a big man who can anchor the paint, uh, which you know John Collins was known for doing. I think we're seeing all of that right now, but there's still some things that definitely need to be continue to be worked out, but with DeAndre Hunter being out, it definitely means that he needs to be featured more, and I think he needs to continue to get more touches, and that is on Trey Young, who is the facilitator of the offense. Uh, he's having a good year as well, had a great stretch of games, and I'm just really – basically – The energy that Trey Young, if if he is where he's supposed to be energy effort-wise on both ends of the floor, the rest of the team follows and they normally win. But games like Utah, games like Portland, games like Dallas, where they're throwing a bunch of different defensive looks at him, if he's not executing at a high clip if he's not bringing that energy and that effort the rest of the team follows suit and they normally don't win so it's no question he is the the leader of this team on the floor and a lot of pressures on his shoulders to create for others and as well as get his shots. But I think he's doing a much better job this year of picking his spots when to be dominant, when to set people up, when to get people going, being a true point guard. I've seen that growth in his game. I've seen his uh willingness to do more on the defensive end and improving on ball defense. We've seen it especially the last few games when it's been called upon him. So I'm seeing growth in Trey Young's game. I nitpick a lot about the turnovers because I mean he has the ball most most of the time in his hands to set up stuff, and he's known to force some things. And yes, he needs to cut down the turnovers. Um, because the games where they have a lot of turnovers outside of last night, they normally lose, so they got to take care of the ball, and that is on him as the PG one. But I like the growth in this game, and like I said, he has to continue to be the leader, be vocal, and lead by example. So, what is your thoughts on Trey Young early in this season? Uh, I, I, I. I kind of feel for him. He
0: he he's had he's had a up and down season. It's definitely been a roller coaster of a season. Uh, his 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 idol Steve Nash played those those mental games with him about you know the it not being basketball with him getting getting those cheap fouls and stuff called, and that definitely messed with his head for the next like four or five games. I feel like because they went on a, a a losing streak after that. If I remember it, it was at the end of December or the beginning of January whatever, uh, after, a, after Stephen has made that statement, Trey young just kind of look, uh, you know, just kind of, I don't want to say depressed, but just like, like, like down, you know? Um, and I think, I think that that definitely affected, you know, the overall play of, of the team and, and, and everything. Um, but I, I think Trey, he's, he's doing well with, you know, the responsibility that he has right now. And, you know, just trying to, you know, like you said, the, the balancing act of getting everybody their shots, getting his numbers and then trying to win on, on top of that and ch- without having a healthy roster, not knowing who's going to play, you know, night in and night out with the COVID and the protocols and not knowing, you know, matchups who he's really going to go against. Um, and then just him trying to get into his rhythm and get to the free throw line and then rest not calling certain things and rest calling, you know, other things more than others. And uh, just all the attention that he's been—he's—he's he's gotten with his ability of to draw fouls. I don't think it's any different from what Kimber Walker does, or what Kyle Lowry does, or what any most under six foot guards in the league do. That break check—that's what I teach, you know, to my guys too. Like, like you'll see Shannon and, and 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 Jordan do that a lot this season too. When you get hip to hip with your man, or you, you blow by him. It's called a break check. You just stop because that their momentum's running into you, and you stop, and it's going to be a foul. You pull up or whatever. But I don't know why people are upset about saying that's not basketball or whatever because as far as I know, I feel like point guards have been doing that for a while. Um, it's the defense or, or the, the, the defender's fault. I mean, Trey's been in the league for, you know, three years now, so he's definitely on the scouting report. Y'all know what his tendencies are at this point. So if y'all are still falling for that, you know, and, and getting mad at it, I don't really know if you could be mad at Trey for that, because he's just doing what the defense is giving him. Um, but I think Trey's having the best year that he can have with, you know, given everything that's going on of uh, the inconsistencies of the lineups, um, the rest kind of not calling fouls for him or calling too many fouls for him. Um, and then just having, you know, just a totally revamped roster with a lot of offense I think he's doing an, an, an amazing job in my opinion because he's still a young point guard and I think point guards one of the hardest positions to play in sports and everything's moving super fast so I can't I, I can't nitpick on him too much there's a lot of you know bad shots that he takes but you know being that guy you're you got the green light to take bad shots so um everything that I would really nitpick on you know turnovers and everything I feel like you can really you really have a justifiable reason for it and everything that's going on just with the team and, you know, the offense and everything. So, I mean, he he could definitely improve, you know, like I said, getting Herder involved earlier um, and just finding John whenever he's, he's open, you know, and uh, with his, with his empty assists, he's gotten better with that, but that still happens from time to time. But I think he's improved along with everybody else in this roster. And uh, it's just, it's just going to take more time and more reps and, for him he he's gotten a, a lot of time in the rep so i think it's just more the the balancing act like like you said just trying to balance everything off and you know when you got a crazy offensive team and you are trying to get everybody 10 to 15 shots that's and then still get your own shots that's you know i think that's a headache um, but he's he's managing the team well, I feel like, and doing the best that he can. And just listening to his interview last night after Toronto, you know, there he was definitely in good spirits. But you know, he he addressed some of the issues that he needs to improve on. Uh, you know, just getting people involved earlier and more consistent. And you know, on, on the defensive end, I give him a a great A. You know, so far at the, at, the, at this point in the season, A minus, yeah. I guess, with the turnovers.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely say A-minus as well. Um, he's done a wonderful job. And before I ask you just basically your overall, you know, where the Hawks are, do you like where they are or not, I'm going to kind of revert back to what we first started off this conversation, talking about Lloyd Pierce. Do you think with how they run the offense with everything going through Trey Young and all the pressure on his shoulders to create for others and to generate offense we saw you know, the games where he was not available, the Bucks game and obviously last game, um, the game before, obviously, prior to the Raptors game versus the Jazz. When he was out, it was hard for everybody else to get open looks and the shooting percentage because of that. But do you think the lack of offensive creativity? I mean, obviously, they're playing to their strengths on the offensive end. Uh, through Lloyd Pierce, but do you think that lack of offensive creativity to you know run multiple different actions as Trey Young's trying to set up things to really stress the defense and really open up things for the whole team, not just the two man game that they're running or three man game that they run? Uh, do you think that is something that is holding this team back as far as offensively, as you know that percentage wise they don't they're not a great percentage team as far as shooting the ball this year, and it's partially because of that. So what is your thoughts on that?
0: Uh I've always wondered why there's there's not as much action as there should be. Um I've been a fan, I've I've said a few times, uh getting Trey off Trey off the ball, I think, would help um a lot too, and just get a a, a lot of the offense going too. Like we're starting to see it now, like in Brooklyn, like they got Kyrie playing the two or whatever, Steph's playing off the ball in, in Golden State. Um, I just think that that helped get a lot more people involved because like when James Harden was in Houston, you had a lot of people standing around and that develops a lot of inconsistency with their scoring and their shots and they get checked out during the games or whatever. So I think, yeah, more action with, you know, all these offensive weapons would would definitely help and make it flow a lot more and relieve a lot of stress from Trey. Um, Just not having to, you know, initiate the offense and and score and, you know, and, and facilitate and everything all uh, throughout the whole 48 minute period. So I think if they would find some ways to get him off the ball, and I don't know if that's, you know, Chris Dunn not being there, you know, might might, you know, hurt that. But but Rondo's there and I feel like he's a great on-ball point guard. And they should definitely run some action with Trey coming off a of pin down or even setting the screen for Rondo like like Dame does a lot um in Portland. He he sets the screen for, you know, whatever person's coming up And then they'll run a a DHO with him and it gets him a lot of action. So uh, maybe because Trey's a a smaller built guard, they don't want him off the ball and like fighting through screens or setting screens. But I don't see what that would hurt. Um, So definitely feel like a lot more offensive creativity would help the offense uh, of the team a, a lot more and just Trey Young and what he can do and what he brings to the team would help a lot more. I don't know if that hurts Lloyd Pierce or if that goes through him or if there's an offensive coordinator on there that we need to, you know, have him open up his playbook more. But but definitely the lack of offensive creativity will be, I think, our downfall when the when the game slows down and when we get in the playoffs, especially if we're like a you know six seed or seven seed and we're we're playing a strong defensive team like Milwaukee or Philly or something they're, they're going to eat, eat eat our lunch like it's going to be a 4-0 sweep if we don't develop more creativity offensively just because there there isn't much movement. I never really thought about it until you brought it up. But, but yeah, that's definitely going to be a problem, you know, come April and May.
1: Yeah. And we saw them struggle with it against Dallas, uh, executing in double teams. And then we saw last night against Toronto, they obviously watched the and I said this on the program earlier, they watched the film on the Dallas game and tried to double Trey, but they did a better job last night passing out of the double team, finding the open man, and getting some looks to really kind of make them reconsider double teaming, and I know that's something that teams are going to consider as far as Trey Young really pressuring him as he crosses half court, trying to trap him, double him to force the ball out of his hands so that he's not getting to the free throw line or not getting his shot or penetrating to the lane or creating for others. And but I think that like you said, and you know I said before, some offensive creativity would help alleviate that because if they're running multiple actions and it doesn't always have to be Trey Young opening up things, whether it's Bogey whenever he comes back, whether it's Gallinari when he's on the floor with Trey, whether it's Kevin Herder, it's just going to open up things offensively where you just can't key in on one thing and you stop that team from being effective off offensively, and that's essentially what Dallas did through stretches of the game and we never really adjusted to it until the end of the game when we had that surge and it was a little too late. So those, those are just things that, that I'm thinking of going forward. If we're going to be a playoff team we're gonna and the game is going to slow down, we are going to have to work through these things, and it comes back to in-game adjustments, and that's why I point this at Lloyd Pearson. That's something that I want to see him grow continually game in and game out, like we want these young players to do. We want our coach to grow as well so that hopefully we can get that pressure that's on on his back from all these fans hopefully he can alleviate some of that with him growing and making the right decisions in the game so uh, I want to end the program by asking as far as where the Hawks are now six in the east with the numbers they are offensively defensively with what they've had to work with do you think they are on the right path right now do you think they're a little bit behind or ahead of what you thought through 23 games to start the year
0: uh, real quick first, uh, is Lloyd Pierce is, is he good at is he a good ad- adjustment coach, or like w- w- what kind of coach would you say he is? Is he an offensive minded coach, defensive minded coach? Is, is he like great at adjustments like Spolstra, or like where where would you where would you label him as as far as coaching?
1: Well, his background is in player development, so okay. I think yeah, his background is in player development, so that is a strong suit. But as far as X's and O's. I think he may know how to get people their looks in effective spots, but I don't really see that for But his knock is decision making as far as lineups, uh, rotations, how long to keep them in. Um, I think he has, you know, some decision making issues when it comes to challenges and what he sees on the floor. And usage of timeouts, using of timeouts like Rick Carlisle we saw in the Dallas game, he called a lot of timely timeouts to stop the game, control the clock, and kind of just, you know, take a breather, see what the other team is giving him. And before it goes a little farther than what he wants, he calls a timeout to kind of recalibrate and reset his team. I don't see those things from Roy Pierce. And as far as leadership skills, I don't think that he has You know, great leadership skills like some of the other coaches in the league, especially when it comes to taking blame. I see him defer a lot of blame to his players and obviously in opportunities where the media, you know, you know, ask him questions. I know when they were struggling in their little losing streak, he kept saying, well, we need to make shots and that's on the guys to come in and get shots. But I said, well. Well, yeah, you can obviously work on actions to help people get open looks. I just feel like he defers too much on the players at times. And there are some things as a head coach, you have to take the bullet, be the leader, and you're going to have to just, you know, take it upon yourself to do some things and not just always place it on the players, especially when they're second, third year players like, you know, the Magic City Trio and Trey Young. Uh, that's a lot of pressure on them already when they're trying to grow and learn how to win game in and game out in the NBA. So that's just my synopsis of what I see from Lloyd Pierce.
0: OK, I like that.
1: I wasn't really sure. Like I've I've been watching and trying
0: to see and I, I just wasn't really sure how to label him as a coach. I didn't know what kind of coach he was. Like you said, like it, it, his leadership aspect, I never really heard a lot of people speak about that or, you know, I've never really seen it. But I think he's a strong coach, but I just didn't know what makes him a strong coach. That's why I was trying to trying to ask that to try to get more of an idea of you know what to look for would makes him great, and the reasons why we would keep
1: him versus why we would let him go. So,
0: but yeah.
1: um and after my synopsis, what do you, what do you think now? Now that you now I've said that, maybe that's something you look for throughout the year. But reflecting off of my comments and what you've seen now. Uh, what is your thoughts on him and then wh- your thoughts on where the team is currently?
0: Uh, it definitely gives me more insight. I don't know if I can really say what I think of him right now after after, after knowing that. I'll have to go watch some, some more games mm-hmm. and get back to you, but it, it definitely seems uh, he, he might be better off as an assistant coach, just what his strengths are. He doesn't seem like head coach qualities, I guess, and Not not to say that he can't be, but uh, I I just feel like for what what he's good at, as far as just player development and what I've seen, I feel like he would be a stronger assistant coach. Uh, you know, on you know a different team or on this same team or whatever. Um, but I could never really figure out what what kind of coach he is because when you you know when you look at Steve Kerrs or the Eric Spoelstra's or anybody else, you kind of you kind of know like okay, he's he he might not be the best X and O, but he's a great leader and that's why he's respected, or you know he's a defensive minded coach, or with, with Spoelstra, you know. If they're down by 40 at half, you know, that second half, they're probably going to come back and win because he's a great adjustment coach or whatever. Yes. But when the Hawks are down and, you know, you, you see their offense is kind of stagnant, I don't really, really know what to expect from him. You know, like I know what to expect from the players and stuff, you know, but I don't really know what what type of schemes he's going to do or what adjustments he's going to make, or if that's his strengths or, you know, like what, what makes him the head coach, like what great does he do? Or what does he need to, why is Nate McMillan, his assistant, you know, is he weak on the defensive end and that's why Nate McMillan's there or, you know, like so that, that's why I was asking. So I'll, I'll definitely have to watch more games and pay attention to the plays and, you know, the stuff that he calls out and see, you know, how the players respond to him. So, to, so I can answer that question better, you know, whenever we get back on.
1: Yeah, because uh, there's times where I look at the huddle when uh, there's timeouts, and you can visibly see some of the players. I'm not going to name them. Uh, they're not really listening to him. You know, they're kind of checked out. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of checked out in the huddle. And I mean, if you if people watch the games, and um, you could probably name the players that you know I have in my head that you see. You're like, okay, they're not really listening to what he's saying. It's just like I feel like that leadership skill. Skills as far as commanding the huddle, commanding your team and saying, hey, we need to do this and this is why so they can understand it and see it. okay, we trust him. And I don't know if that trust between the players and Coach Boy Pierce is really there. And I think you're absolutely right. Maybe he is. He needs to have a stint back as an assistant coach, take his experience as a head coach, and maybe he gets another opportunity down the road as a head coach uh, in the NBA. But it's still a lot of season left to be played and. Where they are at now, be sixth in the East, and to see what else is going on around in the East with, you know, the surprise from Cleveland and Knicks being there, the teams at the top of the East really not being truly dominant. They've dropped some games here and there. Uh, It's a wide open race in the East, and we just got to just continue to take it game to game, in my opinion, and we have to weather this storm, which is this tough stretch going ahead with a lot of teams in the Western Conference, a lot of teams over 500 who are playoff teams right now. We're going to have to weather this storm. And, you know, win some games here because the more games that we can win in this front front half of the schedule, which the Hawks have 10th toughest schedule in the NBA um, right now going off a of basketball reference. So if they can weather the storm, continue to take a game to game and improve, get everybody healthy, I think they're going to be where they want to be at the end of the season as far as the playoffs go. But we still have under like three quarters of the season left. So it's still yet to be seen. Yeah,
0: I had them as a top four, maybe fifth seed going into the playoffs, and so them sitting at six, they're definitely behind. Uh, in in my opinion, they like, like I said, they've just lost games. They should not have lost. Like they lost, I think, maybe five games with, with like six points or less, or five points or less. I, yeah. think, I I honestly think that they should have swept the Brooklyn series because they've been in every single game that they played with Brooklyn. I think they've that's been under like a three point loss or a four point loss. I think they should be three and zero against Brooklyn uh, right now, um, or two and zero. And then I think the, the losses to Charlotte. They didn't. They should not have lost to Charlotte at all. Yeah, um, I'm cool. I'm I'm cool with them losing to my Knicks, but that's, uh, <laughs> that's me being
1: biased. I, I knew you were gonna say that. I knew. But uh, Cleveland, I thought they should have won. I thought the Mavericks game was a winnable game as well. They had opportunities against the Lakers, even though they had they didn't have a. a DeAndre Hunter, but obviously it's hard to you know beat the king in, in the brow. I mean, that's hard. But, yeah. it, it, but there was a lot of games that, like you said, I agree with you, there were winnable games that they're going to look back and say, man, if you would have got this game, this game, this game, we would be in this seed instead of this seed. And um, those are hard lessons to learn, but I'd rather them learn it early in the season than in the second half of the season when they're really trying to it's really becoming, you know, playoff game every night because you're jockeying for a position in the East.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it, exactly. So I feel I, I feel confident in the rest of the season and them going forward. I don't think they're going to lose the playoff position because, like I said, I, I have a lot of faith in Rondo and what he can do. And I just don't think with Rondo on the roster we' we're, we're I don't think we'll miss the playoffs. So. Maybe I'm giving Rondo too much credit, but I'm very confident uh, in Rondo and I'm confident in the Hawks and just looking at the schedule. uh, As you said, I feel like they've learned a lot of lessons, uh, especially in the month of January going on like two or three, four game losses or whatever. Um, I don't see that happening the rest of this month. And then the remaining of the season, them going on more than two, two game losses at this point. Um, And then I think once, once, once the, the, the veterans get back healthy, uh, Bogey and Gallo loses a couple more pounds and gets more in rhythm and stuff. I just I think the Hawks are going to get stronger um, as the season progresses. I don't think they're going to be involved with this trade deadline at all. I don't see them needing anything in any moves to make or you know to to get rid of anybody right now. So I think I think the roster will probably stay the same, and I'm I'm confident in them. Like I said, they haven't really the 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 losses haven't been. Too much of red flags, you know. Like I said, if you all things considered, with their roster, you know the injuries, chemistry, you expect you know some some bad losses here and there or whatever. So I think, like you said, now that they've got these these learning lessons out the way, I think going forward, I'm very I'm 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 confident that they'll maintain their their six seed. I don't think they're going to drop. I think they could definitely get as high as four, in my opinion. But I see them saying somewhere between four and six.
1: Yeah, and we'll, we'll see. they are going to continue to jockey for position throughout the season is going to, you know, they're, they're going to have games uh, three game losing streaks like they just had. And they're going to have the three four game winning streaks that they had before. So it's going to be the ebbs and flow of the season, especially when they're still working through chemistry, getting people back and they still have young players and a young coach. So. We're going to have to be patient and weather the Stormhawks fans. I know that we want success, especially with the recent history due to Georgia sports that I talked about on the uh, last program that I know you don't want to relive. But we're going to take a game to game. And our next game is a chance to rebound against the Dallas Mavericks on Wednesday night. Hopefully we get DeAndre Hunter back. And I want to thank Mr. ATL Player Development for coming on the show today. Jordan. Tell them how they can connect with you, what you got going on, and it's always a pleasure. I know it's been it's been too long, but I'm glad to have you back and talking about the state of this hawks franchise right now.
0: Yeah, I'm 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 glad to be back too. It's it's definitely it's definitely been a minute. Um but I'm I'm back on social media. I'm just on Instagram right now at, at Swissful Athletics. Uh feel free to reach out to me. We could definitely talk basketball. We could get in the gym together. Um I'll I'm staying put. I'll be in Atlanta for for a while. I've been traveling the last, last few weeks, but I'm uh I'm back. I've been quarantining, so I'm good. Um uh, but yeah, Instagram, Swissful Athletics, holla at me. Let's get some work in or let's just talk.
1: You heard the man. Hit him up. I'm actually hitting him up now because I saw a wonderful video that I'm sure that he will love uh, on the gram. So hit him up on the gram. And if you love what you heard today, give us five stars. Give us a good review. Share it to everybody about the hottest new podcast covering the Atlanta Hawks. That's no cap. Check the numbers. Numbers do not lie. Share with fellow Hawks fans here in the ATL and across the globe. And as well as NBA basketball enthusiasts everywhere. Follow us at Hoop Ball Hawks on Twitter. That is at Hoop Ball Hawks. Follow myself, Brad Jarrett67 on Twitter. That is Brad J A R R E T T67. And as always, yeah, Let's go, Hawks.